You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Dr. History, good morning, sir. Good morning, Zeb. How are you? I'm great. I had a maple bar last night, and I thought about bringing you Yeah, no, just a doggone minute. Didn't you say a week ago that you were going to bring one? You know what, Zeb, though? To spend overnight with a maple bar, it, it would not be very good. You got to get them fresh. Yeah, you, you got a point there. Because I did, I thought you, about you, it. And I you thought, got a point there. Yeah. You could have taken a cooler. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll work. You could have put it. forth a little effort a little for effort. your friend. Okay. So, folks, when you go to the Casu County Fair, go get a maple bar. My brother and his family are doing this project this year, and you only have to wait about ten or fifteen minutes, and they are. They are producing the maple bars like you wouldn't believe. Well, go ahead and give them a free plug. Where are they located? <laughs> right there where the Declo booth used to be, right there at the corner, that corner, you know. So it's your brother. Yeah, and his okay. family and, and his And kids. your brother's name is? Roger. Roger. Turner. Roger, this is a closed-circuit message from the guy that owns this uh, program. <laughs> I would find it very entertaining that if after the fair is over, perhaps you gave me a call and you had some of these maple bars in a freezer that could be warmed up with maybe a little bacon on. Oh, what a treat that would be. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what we can do. <laughs> so i got to say hi to a few others. Oh, and... Uh, my nephew Austin wanted me to say that he's my favorite nephew, but he's—I have a lot of favorite nephews. I see. <laughs> so, okay. but I want to say hi to Carol, a classmate clear back from when I was going to school in Los Angeles. We kind of hooked, uh, made uh, contact with her and some of my other classmates from down there. So Carol listens, and I just want to say hi to Carol. Well, good. And Malia. Her dad had collected about 50 Old West and uh, Frontier Times magazines, oh my. and she sent those to me. So I've got a stack of magazines that I uh, hopefully will never run out of stories, so thank you, Malia. David, who sent me some information about Wells Fargo, and our good friend, the Schnitzel Fluster. Oh, boy. Who always sends me good information and resources. And where is the Schnitzel Fluster's Still home? in Germany. I'm always afraid to say that name because I know we're going to get thrown <laughs> off the air. In Germany. Okay. All right, so here we go. Today's story is called Bible in a Bearskin. Bible in a bearskin. bearskin. And you'll see what I mean. Okay. So this is taken from the history of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Texas back in 1936. Oh, you can't trust those Presbyterians. (laughs) That's it. Be careful. (laughs) So here's the picture. It's East Texas. Uh, There's a guy by the name of Sumner Bacon. 
All right. I'm going to show you a picture of him, Zeb. Sumner right. Bacon. Right there. That's his. Okay. The, Sumner Bacon. All those guys in, the, in that time era of history, they all looked the same. Well, they all had beards. Well. <laughs> right. <laughs> so here we go. Get the picture. Sumner Bacon is riding along on his horse. And though he wouldn't mind spending the night on the trail, his companion that's riding with him didn't want to. Bacon enjoyed riding this particular path, which picked its way through the East Texas Pine, but the gloom of the forest made the rider behind him, his buddy, a little tense. Now, this is back in 1833, and a man away from a settlement was kind of, you were kind of on your own uh, when you were out now, there. Now, this is where? Uh, East Texas. East Texas. Yeah. So Sumner probably reflected on the events of the past two days, a neighbor riding to his cabin with a story of a planned ambush. Bacon's refusal to cancel the trip, the way his friends came to him and pleaded for him to stay in San Augustine, and his neighbor's insistence on going with Sumner to protect him. So he was warned that there was going to be an ambush. But his neighbor was going with him to help him out. Who was the ambush going to be perpetrated? You'll see. I see. There had been such rumors before, and Sumner went on with his plans to attend a camp meeting he'd given his word. Now, as the trail narrowed and wound into a small gully, his escort for a moment lost sight of Sumner, but rounded a boulder in time to see two men jump from the rocks above the trail, knocking the preacher to the ground. Uh Uh-oh. Now, without stopping to investigate, his partner turned his horse and spurred him back to San Augustine. So the partner left. Took off. Boy, he's a brave guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was there to help. Well, the two men dragged their victim into a stand of oaks on the side of the trail, and they said, your friend done hightailed it, and it looks like we finally caught up with you, Bacon. Time for you is about gone. Uh-oh. Now, Bacon says, I am a preacher, you know, and it doesn't seem right not having time to pray. So he said, they said, well, hurry up, preacher, because we've got something else to do, and you're holding us up. Well, Sumner didn't pray. He remembered those two men from a year before. He had been in Gonzales, and a friend had asked him to visit a man and his son who had been sentenced for horse stealing. Mm-hmm. Bacon had seen them, and they somehow had got it in their heads that Sumner was responsible for putting them in prison. Uh-oh. So these two men holding the guns pointed at the belly were the same two horse thieves. So that's why they ambushed him, because they thought that he was responsible for getting them caught. I see. Well, Sumner continued talking, asking them about their lives, what they did in their homes, and what he himself hoped to do in the wild Texas country. Well, after a while, Bacon's words uh, reached the two, and they helped him mount his horse and sent him on his way with their apologies. You're kidding me. (laughs) No. Well, and when Bacon recorded this incident in the Cumberland Presbyterian, uh, magazine or whatever it is, the name of the man who abandoned him was not given. Ah. He didn't point the finger at the, at the coward. Now, did the coward live in the same area as he did? Yeah, they were oh. neighbors. Oh. They were friends. Good Well, they friends. were friends. Yeah, they were friends. So, Sumner Bacon, let's talk about him. He was born in Auburn, Massachusetts, January twenty second, 1790, long time ago. Crops were good, and his dad, Abner Bacon, was a shrewd investor. Law, he decided, was the only fit career for his son. But Sumner didn't see it that way. Although he really didn't know what he wanted to do, the idea of being confined to a courtroom appealed to him the least. His father, however, would have would hear no argument. On Sumner's 21st birthday, he rose early, packed a saddlebag, mounted his horse, and left the farm. He left. He took off. 
So for the next few years, he roamed around the East, finding what odd jobs he could. The Army seemed like the place for a young man with no money and few family ties. So he joined up in 1817. You know, that's 200 years ago, Zeb. Yeah. Two and a half years later, he was discharged, spending his final paycheck on guns and pack horses. He got on with a group of surveyors and headed into the Ozarks. Eventually, Bacon decided to return to civilization. Now, picture this. He wore buckskins, carried himself like a mountain man. He had his fill of camping and living in the hills, over six feet tall. And as I showed you the picture, a thick black beard. And he looked every bit a woodsman, just like a, a trapper. Yeah. Okay. Well, he took a room in Fayetteville. And while there, he had a visit from an old army friend who confessed that he now, quote, had religion. He invited Sumner to accompany him to a camp meeting at of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and maybe Bacon could get religion too. Now, surprisingly, Bacon agreed. In the Ozarks, he had read the Bible uh, to pass the time and was the, uh, the opinion that religion and the good book were all a bunch of hogwash. So... A lot of these guys in the Old West that you're talking about, way back into the 1830s like this case, uh, the Bible, the King James Version, not easy to read and understand. They must have had some pretty good reading skills. Yeah. Well, his dad wanted to be a lawyer, so he must have been educated. Ah. So, But, you know, about this time, there was a lot of religious revival going on back yeah. and then, a lot of camp meetings and stuff. So, you know, something the speaker said was convincing. Lying awake at nights, Bacon thought and worried. At last he knew what he was going to make of his life. The Arkansas Presbytery of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church was holding a meeting in Fayetteville at that time. Sumner decided to present the members with his problem and describe the solution he had worked out. A rough beard, now picture this, a rough bearded frontiersman clad in leather, awkwardly requested the presbytery to let him carry the church into Texas. Now, this was kind of ridiculous because Texas was a Catholic stronghold. Mm -hmm. Besides, it was illegal by Mexican law to preach anything but Catholicism. I didn't know that. No, that was against the law. So the presbytery didn't want its message carried into a wasteland by a trapper and who hadn't had any formal theological training Bacon was advised to wait a year, study, and then come back. But that was before the fight for the Republic of Texas, right. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So Bacon felt that he had lost too many years already. If he couldn't talk the presbytery into sending him to Texas, he would go without its blessing. So in 1826, he loaded as many Bibles and tracts as he could in a bearskin. That's where the story, Bible oh. in a bearskin. Strapped the load on a pack horse and headed for the wild country. I see. He arrived a poor man. All he had owned, he had spent on the Word of God. Bacon made his headquarters near San Augustine. Do you know where that is? I, I think it's down uh, towards the bottom part of Texas, over kind of by eastern? by Brownsville, I think. Okay. Eastern Texas, yeah, I okay. think. I think. Well, that's kind of where it indicates. But yeah. um, anyway, he made his headquarters there in order to be close to and the... And it's he- hot. Oh, I imagine. It's yeah. hot. But he wanted to be close to the heavy traffic on the San Antonio Trail. So there, on the line between today's Sabine and, and San, San Augustine counties, he delivered in 1828 the first sermon preached in Texas by a Protestant. No kidding. And it was against the law yeah. still. 
Now, Bacon had to hold his meetings in open groves or fields for fear of reprisal from the Mexican authorities because what he was doing was against Mexican law. What would they have him. done to him? Who knows? I mean, you know, yeah. kicked him out. I don't think they would have done anything bad. But So anyway, now we're it's in 1832. He received word that the Alcald, al- and I, I'm assuming that is like the leaders in the Presbyterian Church, I'm not exactly sure, okay. had forbidden him to continue preaching. So they told him no more. Yeah. So this news spread from Gonzalez to Nogadoches. Nogadoches. The colonists were mad. Word was sent to the Mexican official that Sumner Bacon was going to preach any time he chose. Anyone who came to stop in would, would have to contend with 200 rebellious settlers, and the leaders never made the trip. Kind of sounds like a later-day John the Baptist. Kind of. You know, he had these converts, so to yeah, speak, you know, yeah. and they liked what he did. They didn't want him to, to stop. So there was a Colonel Peter Ellis Bean later was given a warrant for Bacon's arrest. The preacher didn't wait to be brought in. Barging into the land agent's office, Bacon introduced himself and cracked a joke about how the two men's names went very well together, Bacon and Bean. (laughs) This touch of lightness on one hand, coupled with a raw determination on the other, Bacon said he was willing to die before he would stop preaching, and it made an impression on Bean. He told the Presbyterian to go on with his work. The authorities wouldn't bother him. Really? So this guy had a dedication. He had a way, yeah. He did. So Bacon's small supply of Bibles ran out the first year he arrived in Texas. He desperately needed more. In 1833, he wrote the American Bible Society, telling them, quote, There are in the jurisdiction of Nacogdoches, Nacogdoches, about 600 American families and 300 Spanish, and the households destitute of the Bible are nine to one. Wow. Therefore, not less than 500 Bibles are wanted immediately towards supplying this jurisdiction. So that's what he wrote to him. Well, the society sent him 700 English Bibles and 900 Testaments. Bacon distributed these throughout Texas, eventually supplying the colonists with over 2,000 Bibles and tracts at his own expense. Wow. Again, a dedicated guy. Really? Uh, W.B. McDonald described Bacon's travels. Quote, he had a pack horse to carry his books and bearskins to protect them in rainy weather. His chief difficulties were in crossing the waterways. Quote, the heavens were the roof over his head at night, and the prairie grass furnished him forage. Indians, Mexicans, persecuting priests, and rigid laws, and bloody assassins, and wild beasts were all in the hands of his God, who sent him to that special field. Really? So, anyway, shortly, now here's another interesting part. Shortly before Texas made her bid for freedom, Sumner Bacon learned that a new presbytery had been formed in Louisiana and that he would be received warmly if he applied there. He had spent almost a decade in Texas preaching and distributing Bibles, but he had never been ordained a minister. The Louisiana group received him as a candidate, licensed him, and ordained him the same day, but sent down their uh, books that this act was kind of unusual and was not really a precedent. You you really had to be trained, uh, according to them. Well, Bacon next traveled to Tennessee, 
where he met and married Elizabeth McCarroll. The newlyweds returned to Texas on horseback. They had no time to set up proper housekeeping because the revolution had started, that you mentioned. Right. The bridegroom hurried to join General Sam Houston. Right. Houston used Bacon as a personal messenger, sending him first to New Orleans to purchase gunpowder. He was next dispatched to Tennessee to seek General Dunlap's aid in repelling the expected Mexican invasion. Sumner Bacon made these trips from his own resources. When the Republic was established, he appealed to Congress for repayment. Bacon wrote that he had, quote, never received one cent by way of compensation, and he was prompted by love of the country. Well... Sumner Bacon never received any money for his services to the Republic of Texas. He died toward the end of May 1844, four months after dispatching his petition to Congress. In fact, his only triumph, his only reward for the many years he spent on the frontier was seeing his church take root in Texas soil. Enough Cumberland Presbyterian ministers had followed Bacon's path that the Texas Presbytery was organized four years before his death. So Sumner Bacon was elected its first moderator, which I assume is like a leader. Uh, I'm not sure. But so that's the story of Sumner Bacon. And, you know, back then, Zeb, uh, those uh, uh, town uh, or those camp meetings, I mean, they were those revivals were uh, a big deal. Did you ever, while you were reading that story, and and think about this, it hit me while you were talking about it. You said that there was a real severe shortage of Bibles, and he, Bacon, uh, appealed that he needed, what was it, 500 Bibles or so? Uh Did you ever stop to think, you're talking about 1830. Right. And the printing presses are very archaic compared to what they are today, and to all of a sudden say you need to make an appeal for 500 Bibles, that wasn't easy either, was it? Well, and consider how the presses worked, how slow to make one book, and they wanted, he he got 700 Bibles. So, and I assume they donated those, because I don't think he had to pay for them. From the well, yeah, but Bible the printing society. itself back in those days and the setting of the type and everything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it it was an amazing time. And like I say, here's a guy that was just totally, totally dedicated to preaching the Word of God. And what was his first name again? Sumner. Sumner Bacon. Sumner Bacon. Here's a picture. Yeah. Right yeah, that's him. Yeah. He yeah. looks like a, a likable chap. He does. Yeah. yeah. And again, this is uh, taken from the history of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Texas. Centennial, volume 1936. I think you could sum up his life as dedication. Very, and and brave. I mean, yeah. you know, he went out by himself. A lot of these guys, you know, they actually are called sky pilots. Remember years ago, a few I years do. ago, I did a story about sky pilots. And, I mean, they sometimes were killed. They were froze to death or drowned yeah. or, you know. Yeah. So they were they were a dedicated bunch. And if you're in East Texas like he was, the oh. mosquitoes will kill you. <laughs> And and the heat, oh. And the snakes and the humidity, oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. 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 Hey, great story. I thought that was interesting. Appreciate that. Bible and a bearskin. Now, you're going to be tied up. I've got one minute left. You're going to be tied up all this week with the Cache County Fair. Oh, I'll be going in tomorrow night. Uh, let's see. Tomorrow night is the uh, team uh, sorting contest. Yeah. I always loved yeah. I used to do that. I know you did. You know, and I enjoyed that. And then, of course, we'll hit the rodeo and the fair food, you know, and the, the parade. maple bars. The maple bars. And, of course, of you course. haven't forgot. I, I, oh, no, I haven't forgot. And it's a closed-circuit message for you to tell your brother. <laughs> to make sure Zeb gets yes, some maple I'm bars. Yes, I'm not going to put it away. I'm not going to put it away. <laughs> okay. God bless you, man. Thanks. Thank you, Zeb. 
Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.